welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. So Chris, think back to 2020 and all of the things we were dealing with at that time. Yeah, 2020, obviously, an experience to just put it lightly for many of us. I remember myself still doing a lot of news reporting. I had thought at that time I was going to be shifting into this uh, fully web time based role, a lot of live streaming at the time. But then I actually kept doing a lot of on air reporting because of the nature of the pandemic all the way through 2021. You suggested in the notes here that I'm looking at that perhaps (laughs) I was baking. I don't think I really was baking a lot, actually. I I have done a lot of baking prior to the pandemic, so it was not a new thing for me. I know a lot of people seemed to have picked up like new skills also, maybe during that time. I can do a pretty good high and tight haircut. That's like my one skill that I picked up. Nice. Saves saves our household a little bit of money every every four to six weeks. Anyways. (laughs) There was a lot going on in 2020. There was a COVID-19 pandemic. There were stay-at-home orders. And there was also a lot of tension and protests, particularly on the heels of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis police custody that May. The country saw both peaceful demonstrations and tensions escalate into violent situations. But some of the protests we saw weren't just about racial injustices or police brutality. So here in New Mexico, New Mexicans seem to be grappling with how to choose to display or not display parts of history. And for today's discussion, that is what we are focusing on. The controversial Spanish conquistador Juan de Oñate. That's made headlines over the last few years. We are learning much more about what led up to last night's shooting at an Albuquerque protest. Cameras captured tensions rising between a group of protesters trying to tear down a Juan de Oñate statue in Old Town and a group of armed militiamen. Now a former city council candidate is facing charges. That first shooting happened in June 2020. Police say 31-year-old Stephen Baca fired four shots at a protester after a scuffle. This happened in Old Town, Albuquerque, where protesters were trying to tear down a statue of Juan de Oñate with a chain right in front of the Albuquerque Museum. Fast forward to 2023 in Española last month. One person is in the hospital and an accused shooter in custody after gunfire erupted at a protest over a statue of Juan de Oñate. It's the second time in the last few years a protest targeting the controversial Spanish conquistador has resulted in shots fired. News 13 has obtained video of that shooting. And we want to warn you tonight, the video is hard to watch. Law enforcement in Rio Reba County arrested 23-year-old Ryan Martinez for shooting a man at a protest outside of the county building where a ceremony was scheduled to rededicate a statue of Juan de Oñate there. So who is Juan de Oñate and what's led up to these protests and counter-protests over these statues? With us here in the studio today is an associate professor at UNM with a focus in teaching physical planning and urban design, as well as historic preservation of the Southwest. Moises Gonzalez, thank you here for joining us today for this podcast. Thank you for the invitation to be part of this podcast. First, can you tell us a little bit about your background in historic preservation of the Southwest and why do you feel that topic particularly is important? So I think in terms of historic preservation or even urban design of a city, a lot of our values of, of a city or a community are based on our imaginaries. And I say our imaginaries that are sometimes historic narratives 
or they're based on ideals, right? So, for example, in Albuquerque, I've done uh, you know number of articles, peer-reviewed articles, and research around uh, the plazas and acequias of of New Mexico. And so, we think about Albuquerque. Our imaginary is so much built around the bosque and our irrigation and our agricultural history, connection to the land, connection to the landscape. And so often these imaginaries are built into how do we represent the city. So for me, I've been fascinated for some years about the narratives around conquistadores and the imaginary around that and how this has become to be. And how do these debates come about, like the imaginary? Uh, some of the work that I've looked at are some of the sculptures in Albuquerque by Luis Jimenez, a Chicano prolific sculptor who, who died on one of the sculptures that landed up being in the, the Denver airport. Number of his sculptures is Southwest Prieta, which is at Martinez Town Park, a uh, representation of, a, of an Aztec warrior and princess that, that he's holding that uh, relates to the mountains outside of Mexico, kind of a mythic, uh, iconic piece. That was originally supposed to be at the Albuquerque Museum in Old Town, but protest by the same people that wanted the Oñate statute there pushed it out. One of the organizers as uh, Millie Santianis in the, in the 90s. And so looking at, at these imaginaries, why are so some Chicano imaginaries pushed out, placed different places? And how does the Oñate imaginary or the ideas of like even Popin, the Pueblo Revolt, and how do we create these is a part of our economic development strategies and our identity of place. You've been teaching at UNM for about 15 years and you're from New Mexico, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So maybe even to go back a little bit further, what made you interested in preserving history in the Southwest? Uh, well, kind of my role was I was a member of a various mixed indigenous uh, youth group. We were called Tonansin Youth. And we had led, uh, our organization led the protest of the road through the petroglyphs. We were involved in many actions around that. And it was arranged around the same time that Martin Chavez started proposing the, uh, the Oñate Monument for the celebrations of the 1998 commemoration of 1598 with the arrival of Juan de Oñate in New Mexico. So I, uh, my dad was a builder. I've worked on adobe homes in my, uh, in my interests. So I was very much interested in the in the preservation of structures, but I really got interested in the architecture, urban planning aspect. I think the the road through the petroglyph struck a chord with if a, a road could go through such a sacred, important place that was a national designated park, then who gets to make these decisions and how are these conversations developed? So that's became to my interest in not just as my interest as a scholar but facilitating these conversations in community, but also teaching students about the practice, the community practice of community engagement, about having appropriate uh, conversations of the image of our city. And of course, the reason why we wanted to talk to you is because of a lot of the current events that we've seen sort of come back up. But before we get into that most current sort of situation that happened out there in Española, if you could please tell us who is Don Juan de Oñate, and what role did he play in New Mexico's history? So let's, before even Oñate gets to New Mexico, let's back up a moment. His uh, his father was basically known as the uh, one of the conquistadores del Norte de Mexico. His father was pretty much the conquistador that the conquest over the, the area of Z would be present-day Zacatecas. And his interest was uh, silver mining. 
And so ironically, or interesting enough, Juan de Oñate was actually on his mother's side, Native American from the, the uh, an Aztec lineage line connected to the emperors of Mexico, which often the, the arrival of the uh, Spanish since the days of Cortez, you know, the Spanish didn't bring women. So Oñate's uh, legacy was through his father, who was involved in the Chichimeca Wars, which was a nomadic group around around Zacatecas, being a, that his family had finances in the silver industry, then he became, he was uh, granted to come into New Mexico and colonize New Mexico after previous expeditions, such as the Coronado expeditions, which was tragic for the Tiwa Pueblos in the middle Rio Grande Valley of Albuquerque. So in 1598, Juan de Oñate comes into New Mexico and near Okay, a wing of San Juan Pueblo establishes a settlement of San Gabriel, which lands up being the, the first Spanish settlement in, in New Mexico. It was a brutal colonization because, you know, basically there was an encomienda system, which is basically a plantation slavery system that allowed, you know, the Spanish to take slaves, actually have indentured servants to work on their farms. So in that, uh, later that year, December 1598, Juan de Oñate's nephew, Juan de Zalvidar, was in Acoma and demanding food, corn, maize, and food for his, his small group of soldiers. The Acoma Pueblo had a, a battle and they were, and his, uh, Oñate's nephew was, was killed. Later on in early of January, 1599, Juan de Oñate sends, his, sends Vicente de Zalvidar out for retribution or, of that incident. And in January 1598, there was an estimated of 800 Akamas killed, 500 warriors and 300 women and children. With that, he ordered, Oñate ordered every male over the age of 25 to have their hand or foot cut off. And with that, you know, Oñate was eventually tried and uh, sentenced for under uh, King Felipe ordered to leave New Mexico. And because of his cruelty, and punishment of the atrocities committed by him, and then also sent back to Spain. So in that account, what's interesting is that I think we'd have to reflect on the creation of Oñate's identity in the 20th century, where Oñate re-emerges in this imaginary, like I talked about, about the idea. And so if we talk about uh, Oñate's modern renaissance in the 20th century, it goes back to the uh, Chambers of Commerce of Santa Fe trying to create a De Vargas Fiesta. And they started a pageant that was actually organized by the Chambers of Commerce in Santa Fe in 1912. And then after that, there was the creation in 1928 of the Spanish Colonial Society. There was a whole architectural movement uh, around Spanish Pueblo revival and the move to create Santa Fe as a historic place. So that was kind of around the De Vargas. So, you know, everything, if you create, if we talk about these things about in the United States or imaginaries like Boston, every road's the oldest road in Boston and Santa Fe. Every road is the oldest road in, in the United States. Well, city of Española in, in 1933 with a predominantly Anglo city council, ironically, actually started the Española Fiesta with the relationship to being near San Gabriel, near Okeawinga, and saying, well, we have, we have a guy that was here even older than De Vargas and really centering the imaginary around Oñate. And then this idea of this creation of uh, Spanish colonial arts and economic development and creating like this tricultural myth of 
Pueblos, Anglos, and Spanish people living in harmony was these economic narratives of the day. So I, you know, in my research, I don't, can't recall in the Mexican period or late colonial period celebrations for Oñate or de Vargas. To your point, what you were saying was that his own people tried him in a court of law based on some of the actions that he did. Exactly. Exactly. And, and in my research, I believe it's in 1977 that it's the first time the All Indian Pueblo Council come out in actually criticizing the Santa Fe de Vargas pageantry. And so, you know, becomes more vocal later in the 20th century and then leading up to the uh, 1992 commemoration of Columbus and then also related to the uh, 1998 commemoration of uh, Oñate. There was also a commemoration of de Vargas Reconquista, as it will, in the in the 90s in Santa Fe. Which brings us a little bit more up to date. I want to go a little bit in a timeline here. So the 2020 protest here in Albuquerque is one that I covered when it happened. For context, the Juan de Oñate statue that was in Old Town is one piece of La Jornada, which was created by living artist Ronaldo Sonny Rivera. It was commissioned in the late 90s and became part of the city's public art collection in 2005. And then in June of 2020, protesters wrapped a chain around the bronze statue chanting, tear it down. Tensions there escalated and a protester was shot by Stephen Baca, which I think people may be wondering, you know, to your point, why now? If If that statue sat there for years, seemingly without issues, Why do you think people felt compelled enough to protest its display in Old Town in 2020? I think there is something to say about the tensions of COVID, uh, as you mentioned in the opening of this segment and this podcast, is that, you know, I think that's an important part, but there's also a pretty thick record of tension of the placement of Oñate in Alcalde. There was a lot of protests. In fact, I believe it was around 1999, 2000, there was the foot of Oñate's statue was cut off. And we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. and it appeared at, at some photos in the protests in Albuquerque. And then there, and so there was tensions definitely leading up to the one in Alcalde. There was countless city council meetings. There was a protest by Santa Clara artists to be part of the art, uh, landed it being a secondary piece, not as showcased as Sonny Rivetta's piece. So There was a lot of controversy leading up to this and a lot of criticism in city council meetings where a lot of folks thought that they were the wrong representations for both Alcalde and Albuquerque. So after that shooting in 2020, city councilors in Albuquerque, again, they removed this Oñate statue, one piece of a a large series of uh, bronze statues out there in front of the museum. The Oñate portion, it gets placed in storage for safekeeping. That comes with the artist's permission as well. That is still, at least here in Albuquerque and from everything we know, that is still where it is. There hasn't been a decision on what to do now with this piece of public art three years later. So there are some Hispanic New Mexicans who argue that it is part of their history and it should not be erased. And that after his statue was removed from Old Town, The artist, Sonny Rivera, as well, he told us, quote, it weighs very heavy because of the history, and I was proud to have done that piece. He's also been quoted as saying, Oñate, quote, wasn't a saint, but you can't put aside what the Spanish brought, 
the horse, the pig, sheep, the cow, wine, and the mining industry. Rivera told the Associated Press in 2020, quote, Indian lives matter, but also my people, Hispanic lives matter. I matter, my art matters, and I'm pissed. So what do you make of that argument? It's, well, identity is very complex, right? Because like if you want to continue on a segment, Peter Nieto Phillips wrote a, a book called Blood Language, and it's about the creation of Spanish-American identity. There's a lot. In his book, he talks about during statehood, it took a long time for statehood to happen in New Mexico. A lot of that was because of the prejudice against Native Americans and the amount of Mexican, the Mexican population when this was Mexico and became part of the United States. So there's this union amongst the uh, the Hispanic political economic elite aligned with the economic Anglo elite that were pushing for statehood. And they argue before Congress that these are not Mexicans. They're the sons and daughters of the conquistadors. And so there's this narrative because if Oñate was half native and all the other folks that have been here for a long time, I would just, I doubt that, you know, these folks are pure-blooded Spanish and that you know, that these folks were, came in in wooden helicopters in the end of the 18th century. That's just not how historically played off. In fact, the Hispanic populations mixed with a lot of, like myself, an identity called Hinisaro that I have, I have written a couple books on that were actually captive Apache and Comanche, Kiowa, Utes, and Diné Navajo captives that were brought in through slavery into, into Hispanic society. And the complexity gets so much that if you look at the descendancy of many of the folks in Española, which are like the Naranjos in Santa Clara, some of the local Pueblos up in the Genisero Pueblo of Abiquiu, and you look at even uh, the nephew of Medio Naranjo, who uh, had the statue erected, and his nephew, Alex Naranjo, the current county commission, through these lines, people forget that uh, Domingo Naranjo was Pope's right-hand captain part of the Pueblo revolt. So we're not, identity is very complex and we're not going to resolve this right now. But what's important about Sonny's point is if he says that it was about wine, cattle, pozole, and pozole, not the maize side, but the pork side. I mean, that's pork tamales. I mean, that's with maize. Uh, I mean, that's New Mexican. But the statue doesn't, there's not corn. There's not, you know, a farmer. There's not an acequia. There's not, you know, a, a dance that's shared between the Pueblos and this and, and Genisaro, even the Hispanic community in um, Bernalillo is the Matachines. Why Oñate is just the question. Like, why Oñate? And that was the debate. I think people would have really appreciated maybe a, a piece of art that represented the things that Sonny talked about. Also in 2020, officials in Rio Riba County removed a statue of Juan de Oñate and placed it in storage amid threats at the time that protesters would tear it down. Then this year, the county manager and commissioners revealed plans to bring it out of storage and place it back on display outside of the county building there in Española. That is what brings us to the present protest in Española that happened last month. Again, demonstrators were there speaking out against the display of an Oñate statue. A few counter-protesters were there with signs, and at one point, Cell phone video captured showed us 23-year-old Ryan Martinez, who at one point was wearing a Make America Great Again hat. He appeared to be rushing toward where the crowd was gathered. A group of protesters push him back, and there's a scuffle near a, a small retaining wall. 
Martinez hops that fence and pulls out a gun, firing at one of the men before running off and trying to get away in his vehicle. He was captured, though, and arrested. He faces charges today. But again, what can you tell us about the demonstration in Española that led up to this moment? Well, there was landed up, in my opinion, not a protest, more or less like a gathering, just reflections. There was a... You were there. Yeah, I was there. I was there. Red Nation, organizers of Red Nation, uh, organized with the Three Sisters Collective. And basically, it was just folks sharing stories about why Oñate, you know, the atrocities and why there should be, I think there were actually proposals by Red Nation and Three Sisters Collective around the area of focusing on why is the statute so important? There's issues of housing, issues of drug needing of, of, of recovery facilities uh, related to the epidemic around fentanyl all over New Mexico. There was dis- uh, speakers talking about, about the issue of uh, missing and murdered indigenous women, and that should be the focus. And then what, as being part of the, one of the groups that organized the Albuquerque event, I saw a similarity between Stephen Baca because we had a prayer gathering in Albuquerque in June, 2020. And I remember Stephen Baca getting more and more agitated and more unsettled. And then the prayer gathering ended, we took off. And then that's when the kind of the the protests started around the monument. And, And I saw a similar thing in the way in which Ryan Martinez, one point I talked to Ryan Martinez and I said, Hey, can we chat for a minute? And let's talk about like, you know, what are your issues are? I'm willing to hear just to kind of see if, you know, that would calm this individual down. But it just seemed that as the speakers, more speakers uh, came to speak, he became more agitated than a lot of, there was folks trying to, trying to keep Ryan from, it seemed like to me trying to attack the primarily indigenous women, well, indigenous women that were speaking. And then that's when that incident occurred, uh, when he actually shot, Jacob Johns. And then I ran to the sheriff's deputy's office because uh, I knew where it was. And I ran in there and said, you know, there's somebody in shot. Can you call? He needs medical attention. And also there's a white Tesla that just left the parking lot. And so that's when the deputy, the Reriba deputy called in the, uh, that there was a shooting and the person had fled in a, in a Tesla. So am I correct in saying you were at both of these shootings that took place? I wasn't at, at the 2021 because Stephen Bach had gotten agitated. And a lot of the organizers was a lot of the folks that had participated in the city of Albuquerque process for putting up Pinante. So a lot of us were, were part of that, that prayer and we had different speakers. So that was again, a prayer gathering. And because of his agitations, we all had agreed we would just all leave. Mm, okay. So you, you were there at both situations, but you left before I, uh, yeah. things escalated uh, yes. in 2020. I was, yes. I was leaving when I left the 2020 prayer gathering, I had left, I left, I knew it was going to get busy. So I parked my car almost like, I think, uh, I believe 15th street and mountain. And so I got in, I, I was able to get to my car uh, before traffic control started happening. And I think I was maybe halfway to my house when I started getting text messages about a shooting happening in, in uh, Old Town. After both of these, what was your feeling? Just that this was inevitable or I can't believe that it would rise to this level? How did you feel? After I just both can't of believe just the, the level of violence that's related to it. And I'm sure there's going to be some conversations with, uh, with some of the organizers in Espanol. I was not an organizer in Espanol. I was just a participant that's been trying tracking the issue, have a research uh, interest in it, but also just, you know, was inter- they're interested in just 
just just seeing the event, Hearing just the viewing dialogue. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, and then also kind of like wondering how. Again, my my a lot of what I write about is about these imaginaries and these narratives and these. And so for me, I just couldn't believe it that it happened again. One of the things that struck out is that it's one of the things that struck out, you know, uh, Scott Williams' parents that were there at the shooting, the fact that they were in Espanola and it was their son that got shot at the, uh, the Albuquerque gathering. So that's kind of like, just for me, like, how could this happen again? I, I still trying to process it. A lot of folks are just the level of violence that these narratives create. I do have a question here a little bit more to the, the idea of dialogue. You know, prior to 2020, we know that that statue, you had mentioned this earlier here in the podcast, that Onyate statue, which had originally been placed outside of essentially a county-owned building. I think it was called the Onyate Center. Um, there's a Larry Barker story about that whole building, and it's a different story. But So this statue gets placed out there. It is in the Alcalde area. It's going to be moved out of storage and placed now essentially in front of the county building, the Rio Arriba County building in Española. So according to the state historian's website, in 1997, that statue had someone cut off the left foot of the statue. The act, of course, harkened back to the story of Oñate. We talked a bit before cutting off the foot of Acoma Pueblo men after a revolt. So there are figures in history aside from Oñate that historians and people point out that are seriously flawed, meaning things that they did that we can acknowledge were wrong. But then there are some who argue, of course, that shouldn't erase some of these figures from the history books per se, or in this case, statues. But it does seem, and I'm curious your your thoughts on this, it does seem when you see these types of events happen, right, that the days of thoughtful debates and dialogue where people on both sides can get very emotional and passionate, that those are kind of gone without a sense of violence occurring. Can do you think that we can get to a place of agreement on these statues at all? You know, that is a great question because I thought about when I was leaving Espanola that day, I was thinking about the upcoming presidential election. And I was thinking about just kind of just in terms of even coming out, uh, I can reflect even before the incidents of 2020. I remember some of former President Trump's visits to Albuquerque, as I'm sure you all mm-hmm. covered those. We were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah you we were there. there. And so, um, you know, I, it just seems that we're in a place where there seems to be a trend of conflict and lack of dialogue that, that is more and more is resulting in gun violence. And I'm not talking, I'm not here to talk about like regulating guns or any of that. I mean, there, there seems to be a need to figure out how we could create dialogue and debate in a nation that seems to have lost its ability to agree to disagree and to put our individual beliefs aside and to be de- debate things, honor free speech, but also honor individual perspective. And it's things like that is of a core value that is seemed to be seems to be lost. And I don't know what is the core of that, but it has to be reckoned with. Yeah. Just the ability to, like you said, have thoughtful debate, but also like respect the other side as human beings as well Absolutely. and not punch each other, shoot at each other. Yeah. And in both cases, these shootings, um, the people who were shot were both 
very seriously injured. It's obviously takes a, a really big toll on those people after, you know, they just sounded like, you know, originally had went there, right. To have the conversation. Yeah. And I think it makes us all anxious, right. In these situations where you, we go to a, maybe a large crowd event and yeah, when tensions start escalating, you start to get that feeling like I maybe need to get out of here, you know, along those lines though, what would you like to see happen to these two statues of Juan de Oñate in New Mexico? I'm one for, you know, community conversations. So I can't just say, well, I want this, you know, I, I think, you know, I think they're very problematic in their creation. I would like to see is a process of these leaders really talk about like, you know, we have a museum of the Holocaust or, you know, there, there are museums of, of tolerance around in this country. There is a history of genocide in the world. And we know that, you know, and so if we can look at just the periods of genocide globally and talk about these and put in, you know, some people have talked about putting them in a museum. Some of them talked about remelted down and recreated and re reconfigured into other forms of art. And those kind of conversations happen. I just think it's bizarre, like certain art pieces because they have political attachments to them. And that's why I started out Although many people love Luis Jimenez's pieces, they've been put in parts of the city that are secondary to like other spaces. So definitely there's a connection to the Anyata statue with power, but specifically to the city council of Albuquerque, because, you know, it hasn't been talked about where it's going to be placed. I think in, in Espanola, what's going to happen, I know that the commissioners want to have more debate. So I think that's going to have to lend itself to a process. And I think the public art program, the mayor and the city council should start thinking about a process because what happens if a particular mayor wins and decides to put it up someday, and then the same thing happens. We're just going in circles. So I'm much more about a process than saying what I particularly think, because I think these are, we need to have that debate. Well, the city of Albuquerque did kind of, did start a dialogue like that. They took some surveys and I was reading a little bit more about that and and they- have sort of a, a group of people who are talking about it. But to our point, we're talking about it, you know, three years later after that first protest, and there has not been a decision of what to do with these statues that are now in storage. And honestly, I forgot about it myself. I mean, that's how a lot of us, we went along with our kind of our regular uh, lives and Espanola definitely re-triggered that. Until someone emotion. brings it up again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, certainly. That is not the only thing. I think when I track 10 years of, uh, of politics in Albuquerque, it seems to be the trend. You know, it's, you, you sort of wait for things to calm down. And when nobody's looking, you kind of arrive upon the decision that perhaps a group had helped reach, you know, years ago. But yeah, to that point, group was convened. They did a bunch of work. I think a report was even made about what the next steps are, but we really have yet to see a next step. So, and it's hard to think that based on the events happening of recent in Española, that would happen anytime soon in Albuquerque. Is there anything else that you would like people to understand or take away from the situation, Moises? What I think we just have to be aware that we're all participants in our narratives of our places. There's all these calls for public art. We don't pay attention to them. There's great opportunities to participate. And I would just say the one thing we could teach, even at, uh, at the school level, is like, how are places created and what is your role as a resident, participant and a resident and a citizen of your community? 
how is your voice important into how we create and produce our narratives of our own history? Moises, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Again, thanks very much to Moises Gonzalez for joining us here. He's an associate professor at UNM and obviously has a lot of background and research in this particular topic. I think one important thing to point out as well, he does share the same name as someone who is running for Albuquerque City Council. But just to be clear, he is not that Moises Gonzalez. The person we spoke to here today is not running for city council. Yes, we appreciate his time and and these contextual conversations to, you know, stories that seem to be coming up in the headlines again and again, makes you think a little bit about the people who were there when the shooting took place. I think most, if not all of them might say they, they never would have thought another shooting would happen there, but. Yeah, that's now two in New Mexico within the last three years over this singular historical figure. It's just pretty incredible to think about. We appreciate our listeners. If you ever have a story idea or someone you'd like to hear from on our podcast, feel free to reach out. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhart at KRQE.com via email and GBurkNM on social media. I'm Chris Dout McKee at KRQE.com and also at Chris McKee TV. Thanks for listening.